Well, good morning, everybody. It's 9.06 in the Rocky Mountain West. This is the Around the House program. December 9th as we move inexorably towards the Christmas holiday. Hanukkah, also right around the corner. I believe it starts the 12th, ends on the 20th, a little earlier this year, I guess, than last. But happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas to all of you in the audience. I'm Ken Moon. We'll do a couple hours of talking about that special place that you and I call home, and we're so delighted that you're there sharing your weekend with us. So uh, we would like you to, uh, to check in with us. 303-713-8255 is the contact line or live email at the aroundthehouse.com website. So uh, either way, we prefer it on the phone. It's much more uh, intimate for us to kind of check each other out on the phone and kick things around a little bit. So give us a call. We'll be delighted. We'll be right here for you. And we're going to take your calls when you check in with us at 303 713 8255. Here's a list I do every year. I don't know how long I've done this list. I kind of get a kick out of it, and you may have heard me do this before. These are, this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. These are, uh, this list is called Christmas Carols for the Psychologically Challenged. This has been around for a while, but you might find this uh, amusing. I hope you do. Christmas Carols, you got to, as Johnny Carson said, you got to buy the setup to buy the bit. So Christmas carols for the psychologically challenged. Schizophrenia. Do you hear what I hear? Multiple personality disorder. We three queens disoriented are. Amnesia. I don't know if I'll be home for Christmas. Narcissistic personality disorder. Hark the herald angels sing about me, me, and me. Manic. Manic stage, deck the halls and walls and house and lawn and streets and town cars, buses and fire hydrants with ivy. Paranoid, Santa, this may be the neatest one because it's so succinct. Paranoid personality disorder, Santa Claus is coming to get me. Borderline personality disorder, thoughts of roasting on an open fire. Full personality disorder, you better watch out, I'm going to cry, I'm going to pout, maybe I'll tell you why, maybe I won't. Agoraphobia. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, but wouldn't leave my house. Senile dementia. Walking in a winter wonderland miles from my house in my slippers and robe. Now, who am I and where am I? Uh, this is a neat one, too. Oppositional defiant disorder. I saw a mommy kissing Santa Claus, so I burned the house down. Finally, see, this is the last one. Social anxiety disorder. Have yourself a merry little Christmas while I sit here and hyperventilate. So there's some psychologically challenged Christmas carols for you. 303-713-8255. Here's some leftover business from last week that I promised to do a little research on. Someone called and brought up a subject we haven't talked about in a long time. You know, we, we were talking about draining water heaters, and if you're in an area where you have a little, the water's a little dicey at your place. Maybe you're in a small community system, you're on a well where there's a lot of minerals and maybe some grit and sand and things in your in your water supply. Uh, you want to drain your water heater about once a year. Now, city water, it's a different story. City water is pretty well filtered and processed, so this is not a big deal uh, the, uh, to uh, drain your water heater. But the question came up, should you test that little pressure relief valve on the side of the water heater. If you look at your water heater, you'll see a little brass-colored gizmo there with a silver lever on top, and that's the pressure relief valve that responds to high temperature and and or pressure in the water heater that blows steam and hot water off so the 
water heater tank doesn't blow up. So it's a safety device. It's very, very important. Now, good, the good news is that water heaters don't fail all that often. But the question came up, should you test it and how often should you test it? The way you test it is to simply lift up on that little silver lever and release a little a little hot water. Maybe there's some minerals trapped in there and some dirt and grit and so on. And then gently lower the lever down and go about your business. The question came up, should you test it? And how often should you test it? So I did some some research. Many home inspectors, when they, if you're buying a house and uh, and uh, you hire them to do the home inspection, will test the pressure relief valve, and some don't. And the reason they don't is because sometimes when you test that lever, when you pull up on it, it won't quit leaking. Now it was going to fail anyway, but if it doesn't quit leaking, if it dribbles hot water, then the home inspector gets blamed for it, and you have to buy, you know, you end up having to buy a new pressure regulator for the for the seller of the house. So a lot of home inspectors avoid this. But in your own home, you should test it once in a while. Now, the recommendations are all over the map. The Ream Company, whom I really like, Ream water heaters, I think are terrific. They suggest testing it every six months. The Watts Company, W-A-T-T-S, which makes pumps and valves and control systems for plumbing and heating systems, they recommend every three years. So there you go. That's uh, the variation in this. And I would suggest to you once a year to lift up on that lever. You want to make sure that there's no grit or calcification or minerals trapped inside that would prevent the the pressure relief valve from releasing if there were high pressure inside. So gently lift up on that, and uh, once a year would be my off-the-cuff recommendation at the same time that you drain your water heater. Now, uh, having said that, if you have the operating and installation instructions for your particular water heater or want to go online to the company website, you might talk to them and see what they recommend. So I would be the, that would be my default position uh, if you have a ream water heater, they say every six months. That sounds a little often to me, just off the top of my head. But yeah, you should test them once in a while. So um, if you want to do six months, fine. If you want to do a year, that's fine also with me. And But I wouldn't wait longer than a year. So when you drain your water heater annually, go ahead and lift up on that little lever. So that gets that old or that business from last week out of the way. So again, default to your manufacturer's website. That would be the uh, that would be the recommendation I would follow for your particular brand of water heater. Let's talk to Rick and Milliken. Rick, good morning. You're on the air. Hi. I'm calling uh, in regards to a, I have a Bryant home furnace, and it's no more than two, two and a half years old. Uh-huh. And last year I quit working in December, and I called the installer of my air conditioning unit, and he told me that um, there's a sensor in there that, that um, protrudes into the flame. Uh-huh. And he told me to take that out and clean it off. So last year I took it out, I cleaned it. It fixed the problem. Uh-huh. Yesterday, the same problem happened again. So I took it off, I cleaned it with steel wool this time. Yeah. And it's back running again. Now, the furnace is only two years old. And I know years ago I had the same problem with one of my other furnaces. Is this common, or should I have that that piece replaced? You know what I'm referring to. I do. It's a flame sensor. It's a little rod that sticks up uh, in in uh, over one of the flame tubes, and the purpose of it is to shut down the furnace if the flames don't ignite relatively quickly. Uh, that is, uh, if if they if that sensor doesn't get hot 
right away after the gas valve uh, valve opens, then the computer in the furnace knows there's a problem and shuts everything down. So that's why your furnace wouldn't run. Uh, that flame sensor gets coated, gets kind of oxidized and coated with, uh, I guess, left uh, material in the natural gas, I suppose, is what uh, what it gets coated with. There are there are uh, odorants in the natural gas called mercaptans that I think get deposited on there. It's not all that common, and I would wonder why it was happening to you this often, like once a year. Now, the good news is it's easy to take care of, as you indicate, a little emery paper, steel wool is fine, anything uh, that you don't want too, uh, too abrasive a material on that flame sensor just to clean it off a little bit. Let me suggest that you call my buddy Brian over at Eagle Crest. Now, he's... For my listeners, he'll give you a freebie on the phone and a little advice. So let me give you his phone number and check this, uh, run this by him. I'm not sure. Perhaps it's unique to Bryant Furnaces. I doubt it, but I'd love it if you'd run this question by my buddy Brian Rick. So let me give you his phone number. It's 303-451-5607. One quick question. Do you know yes. um, where I would check to see if this might be a warranty issue, a reoccurring problem? With that specific unit, or I doubt it's a warranty issue. They're just going to say it's wear and tear that the oxidation is occurring because deposits are being made uh, from the burning of the natural gas depositing on that rod. So I doubt it. You could go to the Bryant website and and send them an email, but I would think this would be just the ordinary wear and tear of the use of uh, of the furnace. Okay. All right. All well, right. I'll give him a call. I appreciate the information. You got it. Good to hear from you. Merry Christmas. Good to have you with us this morning. Rick, we'll be right back. Our phone number, 303-713-8255. From your faucet to your furnace, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Down side, close the year. Come It's after 9 o'clock, 303-713-8255. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah from all of us here at the Around the House program. We're going back to the phones. Bill in Lakewood. Bill, good morning. You're on the air. What's up this morning? Hey, how's it going? i got two questions for you. I'll throw the first one out, which is yeah. not in your expertise. Do you know, you know, like the phone charges and the iPad charges? I used to leave them plugged in all the time. Then I read something someplace or something that they're still drawing electricity. What do you think? Well, I think once, as far as I know, once they reach 100% charge, I think they shut down. I don't think they're drawing any more current. Well, that's what I thought. Like I said, yeah. it was some computer. I forget. It was years ago. Okay, next question. <laughs> well, I was, before you leave that one, I remember, uh, not on this operating system, and I have a... Uh, two, have like three iPads and an iPhone. It used to say charging complete, uh, unplug the charger. They don't say that anymore. But I think Bill, I think, but in the other other half of that, is that I think with all batteries, I know this is true with NICAD NICAD batteries. Now the batteries in these electronic devices are lithium based. But uh, I think it's good to draw batteries down, don't you? To kind of get them down really below like ten percent and then charge once in a while I to do. get that charging I cycle going. I do because I'm with that philosophy, but yeah. supposedly that doesn't matter anymore. Well, it probably doesn't matter as much as it did with NICADs, which had a battery memory, and if you didn't cycle them high and low and deep and shallow and so on, that the, the the battery would become less efficient. But 
Um, yeah, I, I don't think they draw current once they're charged. What, what was the other thing you had? Okay, the next question. This is a trick question for you. Okay, the, yeah. was it the Merrimack windows you used to indoor? A Merrimax? Yeah, they're still around. Yeah. Well, okay, because I had buyers put them in, you know, years ago. Oh, yeah. When you used to advertise all the time on them. Yeah. And this is the third time that our balance, the spring, you know, the balance spring or whatever it's called. Yeah, the lifting spring? Yes. Yeah. It's busted. And uh, in, really, in, in, in all the windows or oh, one no, or two? Just, or just one window. And it's, believe it or not, it's the smallest one we got. Huh. We got big windows. It's an older house. And the one in the bathroom is just a regular size on the smaller size. And it keeps, it keeps, it just did it about a week ago. The spring just spins out, you know, and then the window won't stay up. Yeah, th those springs, they're, they can be pesky. I have a window, not that brand, I have a window at my house where uh, the spring is very noisy. I know it's going to un unhook and fail one of these days. I'll tell you what, I, those windows are made up in Loveland. Uh -huh. and, and I would probably go right to the factory. Well, that's what I was trying to So they're up in Loveland because I called buyers. Yeah, and he wasn't real cooperative because. Well, it would, it's a wear and tear. I mean, you can't expect know, them to. Yeah. How old are oh. these windows? How old are the windows? Oh, I think fifteen. Whenever you used to advertise them all the time. Yeah, well, Gene Byers is an old friend of mine. He was with me on the program for many, many years. But yeah, if they're fifteen years old, you really can't expect them to give you much of a warranty after all this time. But the factory. Well, uh, and, and and let me let me look that it's it's either. I don't know. Uh, my apologies to our friends in northern Colorado. I get Loveland and Longmont mixed up sometimes, and I'm going to look here. Bill, I won't keep you on the line anymore, but I'm going to take a look and see which town I'm talking about. But I would go right to their uh, – I know the customer service folks. I've met them over the years. Uh, they are – it's a great company. Uh, and, of course, my preference of Champion Windows, as you know, and – uh, uh, but th be that as it may, I think they'll give you some satisfaction. Whether they'll maybe send you a couple of springs for a spare, or uh, you'll probably have to put them in yourself, which is uh, a little daunting. But let me look up uh, Amerimax uh, where the factory is, and I can try to help you out there. But it's it's a it's it's a, it's a local call, okay? So, are you there? Am I? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so it's a local I, company, no. basically. Well, and, it yeah. So. Long distance is no big deal with anybody. No, no, no. But I'm saying if you had to go up there uh -huh. uh, to, uh, you know, to pick up some springs or something like that, it's not well, a big you know, deal. When I, if I remember right, when they've replaced them, I, I'm almost thinking it took a special tool because they have to, you know, they have to yank on it to get it in place. I think it does take a special tool, yeah, kind of like undoing the faucet on a kitchen sink kind of idea but anyway if i can find that uh very quickly here i will tell you on the air if you want to hang up and well, you want uh, my email it's an easy one you'll remember it well i'll tell you what uh, let me rather than give it over the air you, uh, okay. drew, drew can put you on hold and you can give it to okay. him he can give it to me i still got essential.com oh my oh that's an old one. Oh right. my gosh yeah anyway listen uh, appreciate your call merry christmas thanks for okay. checking in with us this morning 303-713- 8255 is our contact number. We'd love to hear from you this morning, whatever's going on around uh, around your particular hacienda, uh, rancho. Uh, we'd love to discuss it with you. By the way, I wanted to talk a little bit, and this is something I'm going to be doing in the next couple of days, winter watering. Here we go again. We haven't had a lot of precipitation this winter, and these are the precisely the kind of winter seasons that uh, we are concerned about when we talk about blowing out sprinkler systems. So it's important to do that winter watering.
and I would sure get on with that this weekend if the temperatures are moderate where you are. Uh, I would get the winter watering done, not just in the lawn, which is important, of course. You don't want the lawn roots to desiccate and shrink up, and you'll have winter kill and all kinds of issues. Uh, once the lawn, you know, if we get desiccated roots and the lawn loses its vitality, then it's more subject to disease and uh, funguses and so on, fungi. So so you want to get that winter watering done, especially in your lawn, but also in the, in the garden. You have flower gardens, you have... Uh, you know, you have bulbs, tulips, daffodils, uh, and all kinds of perennials that just need a drink of water once in a while. Irises at your house? I have a lot of irises because, as you know, they spread like crazy. So they need a drink of water once in a while. And I get that done all in one cycle because my lawn cycles, my zones cycle through in the flower gardens also. But winter watering, you sure want to get that done. I would do it this weekend. And about every three to four weeks. I wouldn't wait longer than four uh, for sure. If we keep having a winter, uh, winters like we are having now, and we've had in the past where it gets pretty dry. And well, we're going to get precipitation later on uh, in the winter after the first of the year, I'm sure. But in the meantime, winter watering is a big deal. That's why I discourage you from blowing out your sprinkler system in the fall. Now, modern sprinkler systems, as we discussed uh, before, are not uh, easily frozen up. The zones out under the lawn have that black flexible polyethylene piping, uh, and it's it's fairly flexible, flexible enough that it very seldom freezes, especially if it's been a while since you've watered the pipe. Uh, after a while, is only half full of water, and uh, so it, it's not going to freeze under your lawn. The pipes that freeze are the pipes on the outside of your house, copper, PVC. Those are hard materials. There's no flexibility to them. And so they will freeze up. So you have to protect those pipes, what we call the manifold and the feed pipes that come out of the side of your house to feed your sprinkler system, the water supply for it. You want to make sure that those don't freeze. And we, and one of the ways, people think one of the ways to do that is to wrap them with insulation. Well, it's not helpful. First of all, insulation with all that duct tape is pretty ugly anyway. But the point is that insulation only works if there's a heat source on one side uh, that we're trying to protect and cold air on the other. If you wrap the pipes of your sprinkler system with insulation and we get a really cold spell, of course, the, the insulation gets cold and the pipe gets cold, so there's no reason to use insulation. We simply want to evacuate those pipes by draining them out, and there should be a way at your house. If there isn't, it's easy to plumb in a way to open a valve on the outside, a little faucet perhaps underground, and a valve on the inside uh, that you would drain drain the pipes after you turn the main water supply off in your utility room so we let air in both ends of that feed pipe dribble all the water out and there's no danger of freezing until the next time we want to winter water so it should be relatively easy it takes me less than two minutes to uh, unwinterize and then re-winterize my sprinkler system and i hope that's the case at your house if not it's very easy for a plumber or a sprinkler company to take care of that for you. So you just have a simple twist of a valve or two and a faucet on the outside and a valve and a little faucet on the inside of your house and you're back in business uh, with a re-winterized sprinkler system. But winter watering, it's a big deal. I would try to do it this weekend. The Bronco game is not going to be all that interesting probably, and so you, you could take the time on, this, on Sunday afternoon tomorrow to do your winter watering. But don't neglect the flower gardens, the perennials, the bulbs, the 
parts of your lawnscape that need a drink of water every three or four weeks in the wintertime, in the dry winter. We'll be right back, 303-713-8255. Need advice for your home project? Back to Around the House with Ken Moon. Twenty-six minutes before ten o'clock. Good to have you with us. You Merry Christmas from all of us. All of us being Drew Spivak and yours truly, and all the folks up and down the line on our on our uh, network. We have an around the house little network of consisting of KTWO up in Casper, KGAB in Cheyenne, KCSJ Pueblo, KRDO AM and FM in the Springs, and of course our flagship KHOW in Denver. We're so grateful for all of our affiliates for carrying the program 9 to 11 on Saturday morning. Spent many years with most of those stations and we just so appreciate their loyalty uh, through the years for Around the House. We'd love to hear from you this morning, 303-713-8255. We had a guy call a few minutes ago uh, about, I guess it was um, Rick, uh, that had issues with the flame sensor. That's a little rod that sticks up in the gas flame area of your furnace to make sure the computer wants to know if the flames actually come on or not. If they don't come on within a few seconds and the whole thing gets shut down. And that flame sensor gets coated with oxidation and other minerals and so on. So we got a, Steve is an HVAC technician. It's If it's continuously failing, which it was with our caller Rick, he said this happens like once a year, you need to check the gas pressure on the gas valve. Uh, and uh, And the technician could check the pressure and see how uh, dirty or, or clean your gas is burning. Maybe it's burning a little rich. Dirty burning flame will cause the flame sensor, sensor to fail more often. Yeah, uh, if we get a yellowish blue flame versus a blue flame, that sort of thing, rich versus lean. You remember when there, we had, <laughs> I remember this, but I'm a pretty old guy to remember carburetors in cars instead of fuel injection. But yeah, lean and rich was a big deal in those days. So same idea here. Steve, thanks for the feedback as an HVAC technician uh if it's happening often it shouldn't i mean i've had you know furnaces with gas flame sensors for i don't know how many decades now and i've never had one fail although they should be cleaned once in a while if you're if you're sort of fastidious about this stuff as i am uh, you can clean that flame sensor i had a a, a a hvac technician an older gentleman tell me one time that he takes a dollar bill a dollar bill has just enough roughness and enough grit to it and, and a friction on it uh, that he rubs a flame sensor with a with a dollar bill because he always has one in his pocket it gets it nice and clean uh, because you don't want to rub it too hard with steel wool or gritty sandpaper because you don't want to scratch it up you know so it doesn't work uh, anymore uh, let's see here's an email from brian if the ground for the furnace is not absolutely perfect uh, a little carbon will build up on the sensor it can be exaggerated and uh, he see, Brian says, I see this more often when laundry is located in laundry areas, so things in the air uh, have like scented dryer seat residuals are collecting on the flame sensor, maybe a little lint and so on. That's a, that's a fascinating uh, comment, Brian, that, that just, yeah, that's, those laundry sheets do have a pleasant smell, but I'm sure there are residual particles, molecules in the air from that scent that might get on that flame sensor, so it's... 
That's a good thought. By the way, speaking of dryer sheets, I haven't done said this in a long time. We haven't talked about it, but dryer sheets do deposit some chemicals on that filter, on the filter screen in your clothes dryer. And you have to wash that once in a while, just simply with warm soap and water. So if you're and this happens so gradually, you're not even aware that it's taking longer to dry your clothes. So about once a month, if you happen to remember this, take that dryer screen out of the dryer and haul it over to the nearest bathroom and just wash that. Just use some hand soap and wash that screen in warm, soapy water. you got to rinse it really, really well. But to, to test me on this, before you start washing it, just run a little water in it, and you'll see the water drains quite slowly out of that screen, much more slowly than you would expect, and that's because there are residual chemicals that have been deposited on those little screen holes. So wash it once a month, and your clothes will be uh, will dry more quickly, load by load, and uh, you'll have a nice, clean, well-operating dryer that's very, very efficient. So that screen needs to be washed at least once a month. Let's talk to Jay and... Highlands Ranch. Good morning, Jay. You're on the air. Hi. Hey, good morning, Ken. Hey, I'm, I'm a real estate broker, and I'm obviously um, faced with folks uh, having to replace furnaces periodically. Yeah. Do you have recommendation of better-grade uh, furnaces versus ones that maybe someone would want to shy away from? Well, I, I, listen, most of the major brands are fine, and you know the familiar names, Train and Carrier and, and so on. I I believe brands like, you know, there, there's a Goodman brand that's kind of a generic brand that a lot of builders use because it's, uh, it's relatively inexpensive compared to the other name brands. But I'm partial to the Ream brand. I've always had good luck with Ream furnaces and Ream water heaters. So I can't think of any that I would particularly avoid uh, off the top of my head, train is good. Lennox, of course, is an old line name that we're, we're making. We're making octopus furnaces a hundred years ago and that sort of thing. But uh, today, in today's environment, I would probably uh, be partial to Ream uh, if, okay. if you just want if you want a name. Okay, the I, Goodman I uh, the the Goodman brand is is okay, but it probably a little not not made quite as good, engineered quite as good as some of the more familiar name brands. That's, that's what I was after because uh, uh, I find that a lot of times when guys are giving a client a quote, it, it is with a Goodman. And uh, so is there, I don't know if you're familiar, but is there, uh, are some of the other brands comparable in cost? You said that Goodman is a little less expensive. Yeah, and there's another brand called Armstrong Air, which I, I don't know who makes that brand, but it doesn't seem to be as as slick and, 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 and trouble-free as the other brands I mentioned. So uh, gotcha. I would steer people to Ream, and if you want another name, Train is a good company, and Lennox. Okay. There's three and names Lennox. for you. Yeah. Lennox probably the higher price of the three? You know, I don't know that. Maybe so. I, I, I okay. couldn't tell you uh, definitively right now, but if okay. you want a brand that, that – you know, I have a plumber friend, uh, just a personal friend of mine, and – we were just talking one day, you know, this kind of stuff I talk about all week long. And he, we're talking about water heaters. And he said, whenever somebody calls up and says they have a 15 or a 20-year-old water heater in their house, they're thinking about replacing. Whenever they tell me the brand is almost, almost always Ream, that they seem to last a long uh, time. And I think great. I have a Ream furnace in my house. I really enjoy it. So uh, that would be my preference because it's moderately priced. It has a pretty good reputation. Wonderful. 
Hey, I appreciate it. Jay, I'm glad you called. Thanks. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. 303-713-8255 is our contact line. Catherine in Platteville, stay right there. We'll be right back right here on Around the House. Online videos can be confusing. Let Ken Moon help you fix things around the house. Christmas comes this time each year. It's 14 minutes before the hour. Let's, let's see here. Where do we leave off? Uh, Catherine and Platteville, thank you for waiting. You're on the air with Ken Moon and around the house. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Merry Christmas, Ken. Merry Christmas to you. What's going on? Okay, I have a microwave and a radio mounted under the same shelf. Yes. And they both went out. And I don't know. I've, I've tried to push on. I'm not mechanically inclined so i went around and on all the um outlets i pushed that little thing in yeah the little the little button yeah 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 and nothing turns it back on and i have tried for over six months to get an electrician or a handyman or someone to come out and look at it but it they're so busy building that it's i know uh, well uh, I'm glad you called. I wish you hadn't waited six months to call. Yeah. But um, have you been to your breaker panel, the the fuse? What we used to call oh, the yes. fuse box. Oh yes. Are all the breakers totally on, as far as you can tell? Yes, they are. Okay. Because I had my son check that too. You had your son check it because what I would want you to do is that this would be a, probably a 20 amp breaker for these appliances. Turn each 20 amp breaker, turn it all the way off and all the way on. But if you're sure of that, uh, and if you, let me ask you this: Have you tried plugging with a long extension cord? Have you tried plugging these devices into some other outlet someplace else? No, I haven't done that. Yeah, well, uh -huh. I would want you to. And also, are, they, are the microwave and the radio plugged into the same outlet? Yes. And when you plug a radio or a lamp into that outlet, it's dead, huh? Dead. All right, yep. very good. Well, you've done all the things I would have recommended you do. Uh, how old is your house, Catherine? It's a very old house, but the re it was built in 1906 or 1905. Okay. So it's been rewired. Yes, it's been rewired. I have very good windows in it. They've yeah. all been replaced. Well, I, a new furnace, everything. I mean, everything yeah. Well, it sounds like you're keeping you're keeping up with what you need to do in your older right. home. I would probably, yeah, an electrician would be the person because there's something wrong in that outlet. Maybe a wire is burned through. You know, uh, right. the microwave draws a lot of current, and you might have burned through a wire. It might be a loose connection in there. Has your son? Uh, uh, taken the uh, the plate off and pulled the outlet out of the wall and looked at it? No, because he's a contractor, but he's not an electrician. Yeah. Doesn't uh, he have any buddies that he have come over and take a look at this for you? They, they are so busy yeah. building. It's impossible. I, I even asked one of them to just stop by. You know, take a look at it. You don't even have to do anything, but they're just too busy. Yeah, sometimes if you offer to pay cash, and maybe maybe you have a six pack of beer in the fridge, <laughs> you can share with them, Catherine. I know that pro you know you you, you got to you got to put out some peanuts if you want to attract the squirrels, right? So uh, anyway, 
I don't know what to tell you. You've done everything that I would have done. The GFI buttons all over the house, and they're 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 right. pushed in, and the 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 breaker box, the panel of the breaker box. So I I think at this point somebody has to come and pull that out of the wall, and it's going to have to be it doesn't have to be a licensed electrician, although that would be the recommendation, of course. But right. uh, handymen are very good at this because they replace outlets that are broken. Sometimes they just uh, the wires just come loose, and you—I wouldn't want you to wait too long on this because uh, you can get sparking and arcing in the wall uh, as current passes through that box. So I would quit using these. You know, if you want your microwave, you can plug it into a long extension cord and plug it in someplace else for now. But I would sure uh, get a uh, get a hand. Now you can go uh, to my website aroundthehouse.com, and in the handyman area there, uh, there's a bunch of mom and pop type businesses that. Uh, okay. that would do this kind of thing. So check that out. Look under uh, Denver uh, contractors, and you might be able to find somebody. Thanks for your call. Let's talk to Robin Littleton. You're on the air. Good morning. Hi, Hello. Ken. Can you hear me? Yeah. What's up? Hi, Ken. I had a question about swamp coolers. Um, do swamp coolers use the same ducting that your regular like AC and heater ducts do? No, they have separate ducting, usually that comes out of the ceiling, uh, there can be you can duct uh, the swamp cooler output, the evaporative cooler, uh, using flex duct. You know that black shiny flex duct to two or three of the bedrooms. Sometimes the most common installation is to have a single vent for your swamp cooler in the central hallway of your house, blowing downward, of course. And some people mount them on the wall or in a in an old in a window, take up part of a window, uh, and blow air in that way. Uh, are, are you thinking about getting one? Thinking about it, um, how much do they normally run? Well, I think installed, you could probably find somebody to do it for fifteen hundred bucks or so. Uh, yeah. You can, or less, depends on is access. You know, the, the the easiest installation, frankly, is a side mount uh, in the wall or in a window uh, for for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's easier for, on the installer; doesn't have to climb up on your roof or in, get in your attic. And secondly, it's easier to maintain if you've got one near ground level that you can get to and change the pads and so on. Most swamp, Many swamp coolers are on the roof, and nobody gets near them, and they get all full of minerals and so on. So uh, if you have a, a spare bedroom, like a guest bedroom, uh, that you could dedicate a, a window or even cut up a, a permanent hole in the wall and blow a swamp cooler air in that way. But i got to tell you, uh, i, I got to tell you that I would rob... <laughs> Evaporative coolers are fine, and they do work well here. But in terms of value, added value to your house, now, it used to be 30 or 40 years ago that air conditioning wasn't a real desirable quantity uh, and option in the Rocky Mountains because of our moderate climate. Now more and more people have come here from Texas and California and places like that that, that want air conditioning. And it's, frankly, it's gotten a little warmer. So I, for another 1000 to $1,500, you could get a central air system, and that would be my recommendation. I don't think you're adding any value to your house with an evaporative cooler, and you're adding unwanted you know, moisture and, uh, and allergens and uh, bacteria and that kind of thing because it's, it's mold and so on, mold spores, because it's very hard to get uh, swamp coolers totally clean. So I would save my shekels, and I would sure use, uh, sure get central air. What, what do you think about that? That sounds pretty good. Hey, can I throw an attaboy out there for yeah. boy Brian? Yeah. Yeah, he, I, I just got a new house, and it had a real little furnace, and he replaced it. 
And uh, his guys did a great job. And I asked him, well, what, how much percentage, you know, efficiency should I get? And he said, oh, I don't know, an 80. And I said, well, what about 90 or 95? He says, no, get an 80 because they, they don't have as many uh, computer issues and maintenance issues. And I said, well, Brian, what do you have? He says, I have an 80. So I thought that was kind of unusual, but I went with it. That's what he put in my house also. Yeah, the 90s and 95s takes a long time to get your money back, and they're more finicky and touchy from a maintenance standpoint. Well, he's my guy. He's a good guy. He, he, he goes for the long the long view. He doesn't want to make dollars necessarily right now. That he'll, he'll Now, see, uh, with your relationship with him and, and the, the good feelings he left you with, you'll probably call him for a central air system. So uh, thanks for the call. Uh, Rob, I appreciate it. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back right here on Around the House, 303-713-8255. You're listening to Around the House with Ken Moon. Call 303-713-TALK. That's 303-713-8255. Four minutes before 10. Good to have you with us here. Speaking of Brian at Eagle Crest, my buddy, the HVAC guy, he uh, indicated that the lady, let's see, it was Catherine at Platteville. Uh, Catherine, if you're still listening, if you call Brian at 303-451-5607, when he's over your way, he'll stop in and fix that outlet for you. How about that? So, Brian, I appreciate that. Um, uh, just a good guy. I appreciate all his goodwill and, and, and attention to, uh, to my listeners. Let's see here. Who's next? Lynn in Nebraska. Hi, Lynn. Good morning. You're on the air. Yes. Merry Christmas, Ken. Merry Christmas. Uh, I want to ask you a question first here. When you have a gas stove and it has been turned over to propane, can that stove efficiently or accurately be turned back to natural gas? Oh, sure. You just change. There's there's little burner orifices. Uh, propane's a lot more dense than natural gas, and so uh, when we, uh, we the, the holes that we put in to blow the gas into your burners are smaller. When we go back to natural gas, we, we change the orifices, and they're bigger. So you can go back and forth, absolutely, yeah. Well, you know, I had a $900 gas range. It was digital. It was just beautiful. Yeah. It was set up for propane. Well, I didn't know that. It kept setting off the carbon monoxide detectors in the hall, which is way down the hall from the kitchen. So I had the, uh, the gas company come out, and they checked it. Well, they had to red tag the stove. Yeah. So I had three different people come out to change these orifices, yeah. and this thing is still blowing off 900 parts per million of carbon monoxide. 900? So Did you say 900? 900. I had to take and leave one evening here. I didn't realize it was so high. I had to leave all the doors open, take the pets and sit outside for about four hours. And it was it was cold. So what I ended up doing was scrapping it. It had to go to the salvage yard. Yeah. I, I had two stoves after that that had the same problem. So I ended up, I learned a valuable lesson. When you buy a house or you buy an appliance, you're not, you don't really know what you're actually getting because both of the stoves I purchased were set up for propane. Well, yeah, that's I, I, blame, I blame the salespeople that you bought the stove from. They're supposed to know this. This is not a big deal. But I'm glad at that level of carbon monoxide that you didn't, uh, didn't get hurt or didn't get uh, sent to the hospital. Good lesson. Thanks for your call, Lynn. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back after the news right here on Around the House.
Welcome back to the program. It's hour number two, ten oh six in the Rocky Mountain West. This is Ken Moon. We're talking about stuff around the house this morning, and we'd love to get you involved with the program at 303-713-825-5713. Talk and live email at aroundthehouse.com. Good to have you with us on the program. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to all of us, all of you uh, from us here uh, at Around the House. Drew Spivak taking your phone calls at 713-8255. So what's on your mind this morning? Let's see, what else do we have to cover here? I'll get some emails. Oh, this is... um. Interesting because I would have thought that I, you know this this is a pretty rare thing, but maybe maybe I'm kidding myself. Maybe this is happens to more of you than I think. This is from Dave, and he said he was having noises, surging noises, uh, in his plumbing, and he had somebody come over, I guess from the utility company. This house is built in 1978, and there was no pressure regulator in the house. I want you to make sure that you have a pressure regulator. I know this is kind of in the weeds kind of conversation, but it's a big deal because here in the Rocky Mountains, we have a lot of hills and mountains and the water tanks and reservoirs are up higher than our house. And so the street pressure, of course, is rather high as opposed to places like the Midwest where it's relatively flat and the pressures are more moderate. Around here, it's not unusual to have 100 to 200 pounds per square inch of pressure in the water, city water mains out in the street. And that's a, a big deal. If that kind of pressure gets in your house and there's some kind of a leak or a failure, uh, perhaps in a valve in a dishwasher or, or maybe in the washing machine or a toilet ice maker, most of these valves are plastic and a little flimsy and kind of delicate. If there's high pressure there, you can get a leak and it can be catastrophic in terms of the amount of water that gets in your house. So I want you to make sure you have a pressure regulator. And if you don't, it's easy to put one in. A plumber can do that for you. It's not a big deal, not terribly expensive. The pressure regulator itself, you can buy in a box for about $60, $70, something like that at a at the home center. And by the time you pay a plumber, the overhead and the and the labor and stuff to come and do it at your house, you're talking about 300 bucks or so, maybe th- a little more, 350 But it's a big deal to have a pressure regulator in your house set to the right level. And my recommendation is 60 pounds per square inch or less. Now, the building codes allow up to 80 pounds, but I think that's too much. I have mine, I have a gauge on my water supply system just so I can keep track of it. And mine set at about 55 pounds, and I just have no problems whatsoever in the house in terms of showering and laundry and, and that sort of thing. So a pressure regulator is easy to spot. Uh, now, if you have a crawl space, you've got to crawl in there and look around. But it's right where the water comes in from the city. When it comes in from the street, it comes in under your foundation, up in the basement floor, or the dirt of the crawl space. The very first place that your that your water line appears, there should be some kind of a gizmo on there that uh, is about the size of, oh, I don't know, maybe the size of a soda pop can, give or take. It has, it's brass colored usually. Uh, and has some uh, some uh, like a bolt on top of it that uh, that uh, you adjust the pressure with, but uh, it's just a gizmo that doesn't appear to be doing anything but just sitting there, and it sits early in the piping system so you can spot it. It's the first thing you encounter when the water comes in from the street. Pressure regulator is a big deal in all houses because you don't know how much street pressure there is out in that out in the wa- city water main. It's probably a lot, and it does vary. 
Uh, it varies based on the water supply they're using, which reservoir they have or water tank kicked into the system, and also by time of day as people are using water, it, it tends to drop a little. But the point is the pressure is very high. It has to be high for for one basic reason. You know, Obviously, we want water in our homes for bathing and laundry and drinking water, but we want high pressure out on the street for the fire department. We want that raw high street pressure in the hydrants to fight house fires with. And so, but you don't want that same pressure in your house. So get a pressure regulator if you don't have one. I think it's important. I think it's almost as important as knowing what your blood pressure is, and that's to know what the water pressure is in the arterial system of your house, which is the water piping. So you can buy a inexpensive pressure regulator for a uh, pressure gauge rather for about 10 bucks at the hardware store or home center look in the section where they have all the sprinkler supplies the zone valves and the sprinkler heads and so on you'll see a, a little screw on pressure gauge there it's very easy to use you simply uh, turn off the cold water supply to your washing machine and screw in this pressure gauge uh, that's that way you can do it on the inside and just measure the pressure in your house if it's high you need to either adjust the pressure regulator or you may need a new one. They do fail occasionally, but water pressure, knowing what it is in your house, is a big deal. Now, the other half of this is your sprinkler system. We usually need more than that 60 pounds outside to properly water the lawn because most sprinkler systems are designed for a little higher pressure. It's called a throw, how far we're going to throw the water out of each of the, of the sprinkler heads. And so you want out there, mine set at about 75 pounds, uh, 75 to 80, kind of varies. And so I have a second pressure regulator in my house set to a higher pressure. So that's called a split system. When the water comes in from the city, we have one regulator that's set high for the sprinkler system, and then the other one that's set lower for inside the house. That's an ideal setup because you want higher pressure outdoors. But the point is, the big point here is you don't want high street raw water pressure in your house because you're you're headed for a disaster, a flood. And if you're at work, on vacation, and there's a leak or something bursts or breaks down, you can have literally feet of water in your basement when you come home. So make sure your water pressure is on the low side, 60 pounds or less. Also, speaking of leaks, I like to have detectors around the house, water leak detectors, water alarms. They're very inexpensive. They come in all sorts of technological levels in terms of their complexity and features and bells and whistles and so on. The, bas the basic one is about 10 or $15 that you just set on the basement floor near the floor drain, and if the sewer backs up or if there's a leak in your water system, the thing starts howling at you. They're very loud. They have a siren-like uh, uh, sound to them. Uh, and they're very simple technologically. There's, uh, there's a couple of metal contacts, and when water hits the contacts, then we start screeching on that water alarm. You can buy, uh, in, as I say, inexpensive ones online for 10 or $12 each, uh, and you can put them in various strategic locations around your house. You can also have your alarm company uh, wire one into your alarm system so that if you're not home, uh, the water alarm goes off. It calls your alarm company who calls you and tells you there's a leak in the house, and either you or a neighbor can come over and check it out. Water alarms are, I think, a must if you have a crawl space. Because who goes down in their crawl space? And you don't do it any more than you have to. People are afraid of spiders and dirt and so on. Nobody goes down there. And if there's a leak, if there's water sitting in your crawl space, you want to know about it sooner rather than later. So water alarms, 
a good deal in a crawl space. You can simply lay down a piece of uh, a, a piece of wood or linoleum or some hard flat surface in your crawl space dirt, put the water alarm on there and just relax because you know that the water alarm's sitting there 24-7 monitoring things. And if there's water in your crawl space, you'll know about it right away. The same with a sump pump. Some pumps can uh, fail and the water can continue to rise like the creek rising, as we used to say, and, and flood your sump pump pit. So a water alarm in your sump pump pit's a, a good deal so you'll know when you have issues. Let's go to the phones now. Talk to Mark in Arvada. Hey, Mark, good morning. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, Ken. I was calling to uh, see. We've got uh, our furnace in the basement. Yeah. And we've got an outside air intake that next to the furnace and it always seems that there's dust and just crud that comes in there and my wife is suspecting that it's picking that dust up and spreading it around the house what's your opinion about that this is a this is a, a duct or a hole if you will that goes directly outside yes yeah well, you might be able to block that off. And she may be right. There may be a dust intrusion, you know, because the wind blows dust around and the furnace is sucking it in because it needs air to burn. But sometimes, uh, is there a louvered door on your furnace room, Mark? No, it's actually just in a what we call a like the old old days a fruit room. It's where we keep canned goods and things like that. And it's the furnace is out in the open. And there's probably about an eight-inch, six to eight-inch galvanized pipe that runs out to a vent. Yeah. And it draws the air in. Well, you know, the rules over the years have changed vis-a-vis -vis combustion air. And you might be able to draw this air from inside the house instead of directly from the outside. The outside vents not only let dust in, as your wife is uh, concerned about, but they also let a lot of cold air in. And that uh, affects the efficiency uh, and the energy envelope, if you will, of your house. So I would consult with a furnace company. Where, let's see, you're in Arvada. Uh, I would consult with maybe my buddy Brian over there at Eagle Crest. He can, he can design a maybe put a half louver door in or uh, put a couple of ducts opening or grills to the other parts of the house and suck that air in. The rules, as I say, uh, older homes tend to leak more air anyway, and so we can draw that combustion air from inside the large airspace of the house. So don't despair. You might be able to block that off entirely, but don't do it on your own. It's vital that you have combustion air until a heating contractor can figure out what the right proportions are. But call a heating contractor, tell them you want combustion air from inside, not outside the house, and you can get that done. We'll be right back, right here on Around the House. Things break around the house. That's why there's Around the House with Ken Moon. Chestnuts roasting on an open file. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. 21 minutes after 10 o'clock. Good to have you with us here on the Around the House program. Line two is Jimmer from Denver. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you, sir? Hello, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Where in the crawl space is the best place to hide my gun from water and Obama? <laughs> okay, half tongue in cheek, right? Um, so Obama, Obama's going to come and take my gun, and when he comes and takes yours, you're not going to be laughing. 
Well, listen, you're off topic here. We don't talk about politics unless we have to. Absolutely, Jim, around there. Do you have any other questions? First one. Pardon me? Yeah, the first question, where should I hide my guns in my call space? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. I would probably get a gun safe and uh, let it go at that. I wouldn't put anything in a crawl space valuable, and that, that's the only answer I have there. Jimmer, I, I thank you. Merry Christmas. I wish next time you'd call with a little more uh, a little more serious question, but Merry Christmas anyway. Let's talk to Mike in Longmont. Uh, you're on the air. Good morning. I can. That was pretty funny. <laughs> I know. I know. I just leave mine wide open and everybody can see them. Well, I'm, most people that I've run across have a gun safe. I mean, that's the first thing when people break into your house they're looking for, I guess. And sure and wouldn't hide them in a crawl space. Too much moisture in a crawl space for anything valuable, for sure. What's on your mind, Mike? Hope something's serious, right? It is. All right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, here I replaced two faucet valves in my shower. Yeah. And on the hot water side... You open it up about three, well, maybe two turns, and the hot water comes out really good. But on uh -huh. the cold side, you barely crack it to make them even. I mean, you just barely... Is, it, is this a, you say this is a shower? Yeah, and it's uh, uh, two valves are from brand new valves that I put in. Uh, they're peerless. Or no, Delta, I'm sorry. Yeah, and these are separate valves, not a single single valve, huh? Yeah, separate valves. Yeah. And on the hot water side, I open it maybe a full turn. But on the cold water side, maybe an eighth of a turn. Are, is, this a, is your house pretty old? Or tell me how old your house is. Uh, 71. 71, okay. Well, I think it might be time to just open these faucets up and replace the washers. I'm sure there are conventional rubber washers in there, and they just break down. Now, I hope it's not a valve seat, which no, is... No, I replaced the whole cartridge. You did? Okay. Yeah. And on, on, bo on, both, uh, on each side? Uh, both sides and the diverter valve. Yeah. Boy, well, so, okay, if you replace the cartridges inside and you still have the, that cold water problem... Yeah, well, of just barely. I did. But yeah. Now uh, on the cold water side, you barely turn it, and the water comes out. Boy, I don't know. I'd remove the cold water cartridge and look and and clean clean it out. Maybe there's some grit stuck in there or something like that that uh, that isn't operating properly. Who knows? So the hot water side's operating normally, I guess. Well, uh, so does cold water side, but you just barely turn the cold water. Yeah. And it, they both shut off, but you just barely turn the cold water and it comes flying. Now, let me, okay, and if you tried, okay, I'm just trying to get this in my head. Let's supposing you're not taking a shower and you just want to run cold water into the tub, right? Right. Does it, is that the way it works? You just barely turn it on and it blasts out? Yeah. Okay, but the hot water does not do that. Uh, no, unless you open the valve a full turn. Yeah, what I would do is I would take these apart again. I'd switch the cartridges from hot to cold and cold to hot and see if it behaves uh, differently or the same. And then you might have a bad cartridge on one side. That may be it. So I would switch and, and I, do that test. When I installed it, 
called them, there's there's no hot and cold on either side. They're both the same. Right. So I would switch them. Since the cold water is misbehaving, put the cold water cartridge in the hot and vice versa and see if now the hot water misbehaves. And if it does, you'll know you have a bad cartridge. Yeah. Okay. And I... I I, I put all the lubricant on the valve stems and all that, yeah. so they really turn real easy. Yeah, well, you, it sounds like you did the right thing, but it sounds like you may have a bad cartridge. So I, if you switch them, you'll know. Let me know. Call me back and let me know kind of how that goes. Will you please, Mike? Thanks for your call. Merry, Merry Christmas. Here's an email from Tim. Are you sure? This is the email to, to Ken. Are you sure that you cannot use existing heating system to heat the garage? I ask because I know that forced air and similar cannot be used because of exchanging fumes. I would think that a hot water system would not be a problem. Uh, homeowners should consider infrared heating. Let's see, well, let me, that's part two. Let me do part one. Yeah, you can't use an existing forced air heating system to heat a garage. It's illegal and it's crazy and it's dangerous. Uh, the city will not allow that. You have to have a separation with, from the two spaces. And uh, there's some esoteric ways to do this with fire dampers, but way beyond the cap uh, capability and the, and, the, and the appropriateness for a single-family home. So end of discussion. I know there are a lot of homes built, in the, particularly in the 50s, where there's a couple of heat vents in the garage, but that's dangerous. You can suck because of the uh, – it, it's and again, this is a little – a little con I don't want to get in the weeds here, but there's pressure differentials in the house and the garage and the outside, and you can suck fumes and uh, into your into your bedrooms, into the rest of your house through a heating system vent in the garage, and not just carbon monoxide fumes, but gasoline and insecticides and paint and all that stuff. So, you cannot heat the garage with a forced air system. You have to close those off entirely. It's very important that you do that with a permanent piece of sheet metal or sheet rock or something. Now, if you have a hot water heating system, yeah, if you have a hot water baseboard radiation uh, in your garage, go for it. Yeah, there's no mixing of air masses. It's a very convenient way to heat your garage. You can have a separate thermostat in the garage to let heat bleed in there just so you want the temperature maybe not to be 70 like it is in the house, but maybe 55 or 60 out in the garage when you climb in those cars in the morning. So if you're lucky enough to have a hot water boiler and hot water heating system, you can indeed uh, you can indeed use that uh, to heat your garage. As far as garage heating in general, uh, it's, uh, you know, there's there's other ways to do it. I like the idea uh, of uh, electric heat in a garage because uh, electric heat is easy to control. It's very zonable. That is, you can turn it on and off whenever you want to. It's easy to install yourself if you have any f uh, familiarity with electric wiring and and, uh, and and thermostats and you know that basic wiring stuff. You can you could take a couple of chunks of maybe two six foot pieces of electric baseboard heat, put it out in the garage, and uh, and just turn it on when you're when you're out there working on your workbench, or just leave it barely on to just heat continuously. Now electric heat is more expensive than natural gas heat. But it is easy to install yourself out in a garage. Some people have garage heaters that hang on the ceiling, uh, like we see in garages and tire shops. Those are those come in electrical and gas varieties. Those are also uh, good to use. Uh, they uh, there's a variety of ways to heat a garage if you think about it. I like the idea of the electric baseboard 
because you can control it. Now, we'll add some money to your electric bill every month, but it's it's so convenient and easy to turn on and off and easy to install. But if you have heat in your garage from your forced air furnace system, if you have vents in your garage, you must block those off permanently because you risk your family's health and safety if you leave them as is. 303-713-8255. We'll be right back right here on Around the House. Got a fix-it problem for your house? Ken Moon can help. Call 303-713-TALK. That's 303-713-8255. Well, good morning. Good to have you with us here on the Around the House program. 303-713-8255. Joe in Aurora, you're next. You're on the air. Good morning. Hi. Hey, good morning, Ken. Uh, Hi. I was wondering. I was wanting to see if I could ask you a question. I have a rental property in Aurora here, and I was um, the water pressure when I turn on the faucets in the house start off strong and then immediately die down a bit. Uh-huh. And I was just wanting to see if you might know what might be the cause of that. You might have a bad pressure regulator, Joe, in the house. How old is the house? Do you, do you happen to know? Uh, yeah, it was built in the mid-'70s. Okay, not uh, 40 years old, give or take. You're, the pressure regulator may be failing or may not be working very well at all. I would. Uh, you, do you know what the pressure regulator is? Do you know where it is? Um, is that where the main water comes into the house? Yes, and it has a bolt or, or a screw setting on top. Uh, and the theory is you turn it to the left, Lucy left, you know, it, to lower the pressure and turn it to the right to raise the pressure. What I would do to test that is I would go down there with my wrench or, or big fat screwdriver, you know, get a big slotted screwdriver, and turn it a couple turns to the right and a couple turns back to where it was. You know, you count the turns, so you end up back where you were. You follow me? And do that two or three times. And if there's grit or junk in there that would might need to be loosened up a little bit, that might help clear the area out, so to speak. Uh, and you, you can do do that and see if the problem gets better. If it doesn't, it's probably time for a new pressure regulator, okay? Okay. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Not at all, Mark. Thanks for your call. That was an easy one. Let's see who, who's next. Oh, that was Joe. I'll see in Aurora. Here's another Joe in Denver. Good morning, Joe. You're on the air. Hi. Yeah, I uh, recently had the house remodeled, and we moved the, put a brand-new hot water heater in it. It's quite a distance now from the kitchen. Well, if I turn the hot water on in the heat in the kitchen, it takes absolutely forever to get there. Yeah. Is there something, uh, somebody said, well, there might be something you could put in the line or up by the faucet or something to get so we get hot water sooner, or is it something I have to live with? Well, you you can live with it. It does waste water. There's no doubt about it. But uh, there's a couple of products. There's one uh, called the Hot Water Lobster, which I think is a great name. It's a little it's a little device that has a temperature sensitive spring and valve inside of it, and it lets water gradually flow from the hot water side and as a cross connection to the cold water side it shoves it back down the line and so it gradually pulls hot water up into that area so you might check that out you can go on the web hotwaterlobster.com it doesn't require as i remember any electrical hookups or any outside power it just simply sits there and does its thing so uh check that out there's another one called auto cirque i think you can get these at home depot and i think amazon has them a-u-t-o 
C-I-R-C, auto, like auto circulation, auto circ. It is a little pump that it's been around for quite a while. It does require a plug-in, has a little timer on it, so it doesn't run when you're you know, sleeping at night. It only runs during the daytime or when you want it to. Uh, so you might check that out. It, too, plums under the sink. Uh, Joe, and it, it's a cross-connection between the cold and hot water lines that just makes it sets up each of these, the hot water lobster and the auto circ pump, set up kind of a kind of a convection loop where the water goes round and round. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah, so check those out. That would be a good thing for you. You know, it's important in a kitchen. Uh, we've talked about this before on the program that when you, uh, it's a big deal when you're running your dishwasher, uh, to make sure that there's hot water right there at that faucet so when the dishwasher starts filling, it's immediately hot water. And so I always do that. And, of course, in my house, I'm in a ranch-style home, and mine takes a long time to get there there also. But there's a couple products for you to check out. The, I can't remember the hot water lobster. It's not terribly expensive. The Auto Circus, a couple hundred dollars, I think, something like that. But they're very homeowner-friendly. They have parts and connections and fittings and so on for the average Joe like you and me, no pun intended to be able to put them in. So let me know if those work or either one of those works for you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate your call. We're getting through these quickly. Nice, quick, succinct questions. Sharon in Arvada, you're next. Hi, Sharon. What can we do for you this morning? Uh, well, I heard um, uh, over, you know, I turned, to, turned in too late. and uh, That's okay. I heard you talk about Somebody with um, carbon monoxide, what was that? I think it was the lady that had a gas stove that had the wrong uh, fittings inside. So she was letting carbon monoxide in her house that wasn't burning properly. I think it was probably burning too rich, and she was getting a lot of carbon monoxide. 900 parts per million is a, way over a fatal fatal dose, uh, but thank, thankfully it was her stove, not her furnace. Uh, she got rid of that. Why do you ask, Sharon, what's going on with you? I'm asking is because that happened to me. They fixed the roof, and the flue was pushed down too far. And oh, boy. In the house, my husband was gone fishing, and I passed out after three days of breathing this. And um, I, uh, called my, I was able to call my sister to come and get me, take me to the doctor. The doctor said I had uh, vertigo. I came back, and my kids came over, and they said something's not right, and they called the fire department. And the level of my, uh, it was up to 36. Somebody trying to commit suicide was lower than that. So oh my they rushed me to the hospital. But, and this thing was roofs, you know. Then it uh, later on, uh, we finally got the um, detectors, and uh, they started screaming <laughs> um, because the furnace, um, it had melted down into the furnace at, and caused a problem. So I just wanted to say this because it's real important for people to make sure they have detectors that work. Well, you're absolutely right, Sharon. It's a great reminder, especially this time of year when our houses are closed up more tightly than they are other times of year. And, of course, our furnaces are running a lot. You know, I've, I've talked, it's been a long time since this subject has come up, but I've had some roofers and uh, other folks call here uh, with stories like yours. When you get your roof replaced, you really do need 
to check in your attic to make sure your vents and your flue pipe are okay because, you're, like you say, they can be bent or stomped on or pushed down, uh, and they can come apart, and it sounds like that's what happened to your house. Well, you're a walking illustration of why you need carbon monoxide detectors in your house, uh, 24-7 sniffing the air. I'm glad you're okay, but I'm sure your story has helped other people. The biggest, one most wonderful gift you can give your family this holiday season is a carbon monoxide detector if you don't have one. We'll be right back, 303-713-8255. From your faucet to your furnace, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Welcome back, 13 minutes before 11 o'clock. Let's see here, uh, one, two, three, four, line four, Connie in Lakewood. Connie, good morning, you're on the air, hi. Good morning, Ken, and thank you for playing my favorite Christmas song. Um, okay. You like Santa Baby? Oh, I love it. That's Eartha Kitt. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's got some wonderful rhyming and wonderful words in it. What can I do for you this morning? Well, I got two questions. Um, I live in a raised ranch, uh, about 38, 30, 35 years old. Uh-huh. Um, I want to move a toilet on the main floor. How much trouble am I going to get into? Well, it really depends on uh, depends on how much access you have underneath. Do you have or is it all finished? It's all finished. Yeah, how far are you going to move this toilet? Oh, about 8 feet. Okay. Well, you're going to have to cut sheetrock under the uh on the ceiling, you know, in the basement under this toilet to move it sideways because they're going to have to re-plumb. The good news is it's not a, a big major thing because the plumbing is PVC plastic and, you know, goes together easily and, and it can be modified quite easily, okay? Well, I feel good about that one. Now let's try the gas dryer. All right. Um, I was told by my brother, who is pretty darn knowledgeable about this stuff, that I need to vent the dryer horizontally. I called a guy in to do that, and he wanted to vent it through the roof. And my brother just about went through the roof on that. So what's the girl to do? Well, the, the rules have changed. Uh, the, uh, the rules about the length of dryer vents, uh, they've gotten a lot tighter uh, over the years. And so most builders just give up and shrug their shoulders and take the dryer vent straight up through the roof. That's not my favorite way to vent it, Connie, because... That would be the quickest run. Because it is the quickest, and it's it's fine to do. The problem is that vertical dryer vents need cleaning a lot more often than horizontal ones be, because of gravity. pulls all that lint and heavy, moist air oh. down, you know, falls down and, and accumulates behind the dryer. Uh, but uh, you know, either way, horizontal or vertical is fine. So what's the conflict here? Do you, do you want to do vertical? Well, it's the shortest run. If I do it horizontal, I'm redoing the master bath, and that's going to include the washer and dryer. Sure, sure. And if I have to run it horizontally, it's probably going to be about a 12-foot run. 12 feet's not very much. I think you're allowed around 20 to 25. Uh, okay. It's no big deal to, uh, at all. And in most older houses, because we weren't as hysterical about these issues uh, as uh, as we are now in the old days, I mean, uh, 25, 30, 30 feet, four, even sometimes 40 feet horizontally, 
uh, I've seen. Now, every time you put an elbow in, you add a lot of resistance. You, you knock about 10 feet off of that length. But if you're going 12 feet, I would just go horizontally. You bet. Okay, that'll make my brother happy, and I won't have to clean it so much, huh? Well, that's right. And now make sure that you have, uh, is this going to be a little closet or a laundry room type thing? What's it going to, where's it going to be? I would run it right through the closet. The uh, laundry is going to be in the master bath. Okay. You need to uh, make sure that you, I'm sure you know this, you're, I know your brother knows this, you have to have some combustion air, like a grill over the top of the door, uh, to allow you know, drier air in there. That's uh, the uh, requirement now, because if that door is closed, you starve the dryer for air. And with a gas dryer, it needs combustion air to burn the gas. So you're uh, you're going to lose a little privacy that way in your bathroom, Connie, but you have to have a grill to to the main part of the house to suck air into that into that bathroom. Now, you may be able to put the grill maybe in, uh, instead of cutting it in the hallway, maybe... It can go into your master bedroom or something, but you have to have a little air intake for that gas dryer. That's not a problem. Okay. All right. Very cool. Have a wonderful Christmas. Merry Christmas, Connie. Thanks for calling. Yeah, it looks like we got all those problems solved. Dryer vents are, uh, are, are problematic because they can plug up and get a lot of lint accumulation. The good news is that the lint usually ac uh, accumulates at one end or the other or both, not necessarily in the middle so much. So uh, where that vent sticks out of the house, that flapper vent, uh, if you pull that off, it's easy to just, just pry it off the house and look in there with a flashlight. You'll probably see a clumps of lint right there at, uh, at the exit of the dryer vent. Uh, at the exterior of the house, you clean that out with your shop vac, or you can pull it out with a uh, any kind of an implement you have, like a. Uh, I've seen people use fishing poles. You can have a, a long piece of wood with a nail on the end, whatever it takes to pull that lid out. Uh, you can also do it at the other end, or you can use your leaf blower. If you get a uh, battery-powered or, or even a plug-in electric uh, powerful leaf blower, you can hook it up to the dryer vent on the inside of the house. And uh, you don't want to turn it on and leave it on. You just short bursts of air will uh, set, the, will kind of bust that lint free and blow it out the outside of the house. Now, make sure that the dryer vent cap is off so there's a wide open hole on the outside. But you can blow that lint out with a leaf blower. It works pretty well. You want to do that about once uh, a year to avoid fires. And mainly, fires in dryer vents are fairly rare. But you also want to have a more efficient operating dryer, which... Uh, you need to get the lint out of there to do that. And also, uh, this is the most uh, weird part and the hardest part. Uh, there's some places in your dryer where lint accumulates that you can't really see, and you really need to take the front off the dryer and ease it forward a little and get your shop back and suck all the lint accumulated inside the dryer itself. It's a little tricky. It's a two-person job. But the good news is you have YouTube at your disposal. Put the brand of your dryer in there, and you'll probably see a video of somebody doing it for you. There's some great how-to videos when it comes to appliances online. So that would be the way to do that. We'll be right back. Barry Larry from The Real Estate Show going to stop in and say hey right after this. Right here on Around the House. Need advice for your home project? Back to Around the House with Ken Moon. Welcome back to the program. Five minutes before 11 o'clock. We are on our flagship station, KHW in Denver, Barry and Larry, Barry Miller, Larry Stanley have a real estate show at 11.06 after the news, after this uh, program. And they're in the studio with their headsets on and uh, cups of coffee, I assume. And so we're going to have them on the air for a couple minutes. Guys, good morning. Good morning. 
Hey, I ran into a, a young lady, a friend of mine this week, and she's talking about her mortgage, and she was talking about how hard it. She, they, her, she and her husband opted for a fifteen-year mortgage because they just pay it off quicker. But her budget's kind of being squeezed, and I, I said to her, it seems to me I remember that's a good idea. Maybe get a thirty and double your principal payments. Except nobody ever does that, do they, Barry? Well, some smart people do that, and people should get the thirty-year because then you have any option you want. Double up on the payments, pay an extra 500 this month, nothing next month. Two months later, pay an extra 250 to principal. I'm, I'm a bigger believer in the 30-year fixed rate because you could turn it into a 22-year, a 20-year, a 15-year, yeah. but flexibility when life happens to yeah, your you income. Yeah, somebody gets sick or loses their job yep. or something. Yep. And somebody also told me, and I've been around this business, you know, probably as long as you guys have, and I, somebody said if you don't, when you send extra principal payments in, you write principal on the check. Otherwise, they may apply it to interest, and you get all messed up, and it gets all screwed up that way. Is that the case? Not so much. It was the case up until recent years. Most of the lenders now on the sheet they send you monthly or online will have a special line for additional principal. Ah, um, very and, good. And by the way, years past, not too many years, three, four, five years past, we actually uh, recommended our consumers sent in two checks. And the second check would say additional principal, and then we never had any accounting problems. Sounds like a good idea. What do you got on tap today? Just more oh, uh, interest rate stuff, markets? And interest market, but, I mean, you, Larry's going to talk about people who keep pay, overpaying real estate commissions. And yours truly, Barry, here is going to talk about hourly rates and how their day is coming in residential real estate. Very good, guys. Good to talk to you, and yep. I'll see you next time. Barry and Larry Real Estate Show on KHOW at 1106, our flagship station in Denver. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Listen, uh, we got well, a couple more minutes here, a couple emails from this week we can get done. Uh, why not? Uh, let's see. I had some all lined up here uh, ready to go. And, um, oh, here we go, right here. This is from... Albert, humidity in my house is about 2%. We installed an April air. Now it's 25%. How come it isn't higher than that? Well, you know, it's so dry out here, Albert, that it's hard to get ambient humidity in your house higher than 30 or 35%. No matter what you do, you just can't get it very high because it's so dry and we get so much moisture sucked out of the house because of our dry ambient humidity or low ambient humidity in the wintertime. Uh, but you know what? If you run your, your blower... 24-7, you can get a lot more humidity in your house. You can get that 25% you're complaining about up to 35% or so. It's going to add 20 bucks a month to your electric bill to run that blower all the time, but the humidity will run, uh, will add uh, considerably to uh, the lifespan of your furniture and hardwood floors. You'll be more comfortable. Things will go better uh, in your life and your kids also with more humidity in the air. So, yeah, I think it's important to get that humidity up to 30, 35% in the wintertime, and you do that by running that blower 24-7. Don't expect anything higher than that, only because we're in the gorgeous Rocky Mountains with low ambient humidity. Drew Spivak, thanks for your help in the control room. We're a little behind here, so we'll say goodbye till next time. God bless. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time right here around the house.